Hello everyone and welcome to the Champions Cast here on ZeldaDungeon.net. My name is Andy Spiteri, joined as always by Allison Aletha. Al, how are you doing today? I am doing super good, super peachy. Been having a nice chill weekend, playing through Three Houses and got a coffee and I'm just having a good morning. I love that you're on the uh, the train where you got to get a coffee before recording now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't like, do I've it every time. I've been the conductor of this train, but <laughs> I like that you're finally on board. I just jumped on it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's uh, that's awesome. I uh, had a pretty, pretty decent weekend. We had a, a virtual theater movie night actually last night, which was uh, spectacular, gooey. Picked out a, uh, a classic for us to watch, complete with trailers, actually. So we watched the trailer Ooh. for Night at the Roxbury and, like, some Carrot Top movie called Chairman of the Board. Oh and then uh, the main the main feature was uh, a movie called Dirty Work, um, starring Norm MacDonald. And uh, this, was, uh, this was quite the movie. It was directed by the late uh, Bob Saget, actually. And, uh, man, this... This was uh, this was something else. Uh, I uh, just have to leave it at that. It was if, if you haven't seen this movie, you should go out of your way to watch it. But uh, yeah, it was it's quite the experience. So uh, you know, shout out to Goo. He he always has good picks for movie night. I will give that to him. Sounds like a fun time. Yeah. Um, all right. So speaking of movies, Allison, we are going to be uh, dissecting. One of my favorite movies today, actually. But before we get there, I'm going to leave this decision up to you, Al. And we'll, what you say will go. But we teased last week that we would be revealing our big episode 200 plans for uh, for the Champions cast. And so my question to you, Al, is do you want to do that now? Or do you want to do that at the end of the show? Whatever you say goes. Um, I'm thinking let's do it now because I I'm wondering like I don't I don't know when we're when we're gonna end with this discussion about this movie so let's okay. let's do it now. All right. Well, so this is the plan. This is the uh, the spectacle that we have arranged for you guys uh, that is going down the day before Valentine's Day, so February thirteenth. So that's not quite our our two hundred show anniversary, but it's pretty close. Um, and we're doing it a week early because that coincides, my friends, with the 100 episode anniversary of the Omega Metroid podcast. And we are doing a super show. So that is right. You have not one, not two, not three, not four, but five members of both podcasts that are going to be uh, all involved in one super show. And we are going to be doing the Champions Cast versus omega metroid and we're going to be doing a fun night of trivia and i andy spateri am going to be the impartial commissioner uh because i have a foot in both camps but we're going to have on one side uh everyone's favorite allison aletha and her champion of choice mr Corey richmond and they're going to be taking on dakota lasky and duminal crossing from the omega metroid podcast and i your fair and impartial commissioner have assembled a list of trivia questions and we are going to be playing uh, a, a trivia game here and whoever gets the most points wins now it's going to be divided in between metroid trivia and zelda trivia and allison there are um there are three categories that uh, that i've made categories for so far or uh, or 
not categories, but there's three tiers of questions. So there is the easy tier, the medium tier, the hard tier. Oh, and did I say three? There's four. There's the insane tier. Oh my God. So whoever, whoever, uh, whoever walks away with the most points wins. And I am totally open actually for ideas about what the winner should have to do. Because I actually didn't think that through. But I feel like the winner should get something and the loser should have to do something. And uh, I'm open to your suggestions, Al. And I'm open to our listeners' suggestions. But man, I have got, uh, I've got these questions I'm looking at. And I feel like they are, they're doozies. They're doozies. All right. All right. That sounds, I, I think, you know, I, I think I'm okay at trivia. Like, I think I can get some, even some of the harder questions. And But, man, the reason I chose Corey, Corey's good at trivia. So, I have a feeling uh, Champions Cast is going to win. Wow. Okay. There you go. Allison laying down the smack, laying down the challenge to Omega. So, they, they better come prepared. But, you know what, Al? You and Corey better come prepared because I'm looking at some of these Zelda questions that I have. And I don't know if you're going to know some of them. I really don't. Maybe not, but I mean, Corey knew like the original names to games like A Link to the Past, which I didn't even know they had original names. So I mean, I'm just saying I might be just leaning on Corey for the, for those. <laughs> uh, Triforce of the Gods, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. So we have uh, we have a lot of uh, of fun stuff planned. It's gonna be a good show. It's going to be a fun time. That is going to be going down on February the 13th, and it's going to be taking place on the Resurrected Champions Cast Twitch channel. Now, if you are not able to make it there, don't worry. We'll record it, and we'll release it, and you can enjoy it uh, on Podbean or, or wherever you regularly listen to the show as usual. But uh, if you want to come and hang out with us live and be involved in the chat, we're going to have some some fun stuff for the chat to do as well. And it's going to be a good time. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's a, it's a celebration of, um, you know, both projects that I am, uh, that I'm involved with and had a hand in creating. And, uh, I'm, I'm very proud and very excited for, for this event. I think it's going to be a good time. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm super excited for it. I just, I want to see you sweat. I want to see you sweat when I when I ask you the insane did Zelda you, questions. <laughs> did you see the trivia from last year's marathon? Because, uh, I mean... Yes, I partook, yeah. Th- there was a couple questions that Mousy's asked that I just guessed at. And I actually got one right. And I just, I totally just threw an answer out there. And I was like, yes! So that was pretty uh, cool. I really appreciate you know, I was I was playing along with, um, with the trivia. I was, obviously I wasn't there. I was playing along in chat. And I, I dare say that I did pretty good. I think that I would have uh, came in a solid second place if I was there. Because who, nice. who won um, uh, um, Ashton won, I think, yeah, right? Uh, I can't remember who, because there was two rounds. So I can't remember. I know Corey won the year before, but I can't remember if he won this year. Right. Well, I, I think that I would uh, would do pretty good in trivia. But uh, for this for this event... I am your humble, impartial commissioner. I'll be calling things down the line, down the middle, and showing no favoritism whatsoever. <laughs> so uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time, I think. So we hope that you guys join us, and uh, we hope that you check it out. And if you're a listener of of this show, but not Omega, uh, you can check out and kind of get to meet some of those guys over there and what we are all about, and maybe vice versa. I think there's gonna be some people tuning in that don't necessarily listen to this show, but 
are all about that Metroid. So um, I think it's going to be a kind of a, a good amalgamation of audiences and, and just really, really fun time to be had. So yeah, that's going to be cool. And that's coming up. Not, not even that far away. We're less than a month away from that. So uh, we better, we better get it's prepared. Coming. We better get studying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I don't even know if you can if you can answer some of the Zelda questions, let alone the Metroid ones. Oh my god, I'm not even I don't even think I'm getting anywhere near with the Metroid questions. I'm just putting that out there now. <laughs> well, so my uh my colleagues over at Omega, I wanna say that they are casual Zelda fans. I know for sure that Dak is a Majora's Mask fan. So you might uh you know, you might you might want to do some uh, some studying there, Al. Although you played Super Metroid, so I feel like you're also in a good position. Oh gosh, that doesn't mean I retained any information from it. Well, let's hope that you did, because okay. uh, <laughs> otherwise it might be a bloodbath. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. All right, let's uh, let's get over to today's show, which is also something that I'm quite excited about. And uh, this has been on the back burner of of my show ideas. For quite some time, actually, but uh, if the timing was finally right, and uh, we're finally going to talk about uh, a movie, actually, which is uh, had a huge influence, I feel like, on Zelda, but Breath of the Wild in particular, and that is, of course, uh, Studio Ghibli's Princess Mononoke. So, uh, for anybody that has not seen this movie, first of all, you gotta go watch it, because if you are... You know, if you are a fan of Zelda, I, I feel like this is the closest thing to a Zelda movie that we'll probably ever get. But um, we're, we're going to be talking about it in depth. So, I, I mean, I don't know if you want to throw a spoiler warning out there, but we're going to be talking about it. And uh, and I feel like I should maybe just quickly summarize really quickly the movie for, for anyone that hasn't seen it in a while or maybe has never seen it. So um, why don't I do that? And then we'll talk about what your thoughts were, Allison, on the movie. All right. Um, yeah, let's go for it. So at the beginning of the movie, uh, we meet a young prince of a uh, of a dying tribe, and his name is Ashitaka. And Ashitaka ends up fighting a monster, and this monster turns out to be a boar god who has been possessed by a kind of evil. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say malice, if you will, but like an <laughs> evil substance. And this substance ends up touching Ashitaka and cursing him. So his arm has been uh, touched by the substance, which grants him superpowers, but also is basically slowly killing him. So Ashitaka is exiled from his tribe and has to go across the, the continent to the source of this curse. And there he meets, uh, you know, he meets a couple different people and ultimately ends up getting involved in a in a struggle between the, uh, the settlement called Irontown, who was building a lot of weaponry and machines... And um, the natural forest, which is all around Irontown. And he ends up meeting a girl named San, who is uh, a girl that was raised by wolves. And uh, Lady Ibosha, or Iboshi, sorry, who is the uh, basically the head of Irontown. And kind of ends up embroiled in that conflict um, between them. And so we see, we see Ashitaka essentially trying to make p- peace between these two factions. And kind of, that's where the movie's core really is, showing... All these different sides to all these different characters and um, and kind of just showing what they're asking some of the questions like what is the balance between, you know, nature and technology and all this kind of stuff. And um, it eventually ends with uh, not really the, the most clear resolution, but uh, Ashitaka is 
is basically working still at the end of the movie to keep that keep that balance and keep that peace intact. So it's a really fantastic movie. I probably didn't do it justice describing it right there. But um, again, if you haven't seen it in a long time, uh, or you've never seen it, I, I just like I can't encourage you guys enough to go and watch it. This is my favorite Studio Ghibli movie um, by far. Um, I've, I've you know I've I've been on a tear actually watching a lot of the other ones, but Mononoke is one that I saw as a kid, and it was just like left such an impression on me. And I'm not sure if I knew why it left such an impression on me. But as I got older and the more I got into Zelda, the more I was just like, damn, this movie is awesome. Like, and, and so when I started kind of piecing those those dots together about like how similar these these stories are, I think that's when my appreciation and love for Mononoke went to a another level. But Allison, you had never seen this movie. I've been talking about this for a long time. Uh, you sat down and you watched it. Was it last night? Yeah, I watched it last night. All right. So, did you get any popcorn or anything like that, by the way? Um. Well, my sister did popcorn. I did ice cream. So. <laughs> oh, Sam and I watched a movie last night, and we went to the. We have a theater like five minutes away from our house. So we drove over, got some popcorn, and we did our thing. Oh. No, we yeah. do. We do like old school popcorn. Where you actually put the kernels in the pan and and pop it yourself. <laughs> oh well, that's way better. I I'm not gonna buy any more popcorn from this theater. Like takeout popcorn. You know what I mean? It's just like it's too expensive. But yeah. You sat down. You watched it last night. Um, what did you think of the movie? I mean, without, we'll, we'll talk about specific characters, themes, stuff like that, but I mean, just your, your takeaway, what did you think? Um, so I think, um, some of it like triggered a memory in my brain and I think I saw maybe like a portion or a clip or something when I was a child, but I quickly realized why I didn't see the whole movie because it is a lot more violent than you think it would have been. Yes. And I am like 90% sure my mom saw like two seconds of this movie. It was like, Nope, turn it off, you know, or change the channel or whatever we were doing. You know what I mean? So it's, it's um, like, it's good. It's not like horrible, but I just thought I was just like, Whoa, kind of thrown for a loop because from the other um, studio Ghibli movies that I've seen so far, I know that the visuals are different there are some disturbing imagery, but it was just a little bit more darker than the other two movies that I had seen before. So, yeah, I was just kind of taken aback. But overall, I really liked the movie. Um, I thought it was better than one of the other Studio Ghibli movies I saw, and I feel like some some people are just going to roast me for it. But um, I thought it was a lot better than Spirited Away. And... Um, I really, uh, like, in the moment of the movie and directly after the movie, it left me thinking. And I think the next day I have more thoughts about it, which is kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. It really makes you think about, um, like, I feel like a lot of media tells you, like, advancement is always the evil when it comes to the war between advancement and, like, nature, right? It's always the evil yeah. because you're hurting, you know, the planet, you're hurting the animals in the forest and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure we'll get into this later, but I just thought it was kind of cool because it didn't like paint it. So like it was so evil, like it did kind of give it a bad light, but there was still like a note of, well, we do need to advance as people and as a planet and all that kind of stuff. So it didn't like paint it as totally bad, which I thought was interesting. So, um, but overall I really enjoyed the movie. It was very entertaining um there are a lot of little bits that i like that we'll get into and yeah it's definitely one of my favorites now i i actually plan on buying this movie that's how much i liked it so we wow we watched it on hbo max but 
I'm not going to have that forever. And I think I actually want to purchase this movie. Man, who buys movies anymore? That's awesome. I, I, I own do. this movie too, actually. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I can't remember the last... Uh, actually, I, I can remember the last DVD I bought. It was the Animatrix, and I bought it last year because for some reason I didn't have it. But mm. other than that... Yeah, so I mean, uh, just a couple of the points that you touch on here. This is certainly a more adult uh, Studio Ghibli movie. By the way, I, I'm... I was told that the correct pronunciation is Ghibli, but I just, I can't stop saying Ghibli, so it's, oh, I'm sorry, Ghibli? it's just going to be Studio It's kind of like Jif and Gif. Yeah, well, I mean, if you say Jif, you're just like a psychopath. Studio you know. Ghibli is the correct, pro- I'll, I, I mean, I'll try to, I'll try to say that. I'll try, but no, no promises. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> no yeah, funny this come is, for us. <laughs> <laughs> this is certainly uh, the most... I would say, yeah, the most adult, I guess, for lack of better term, uh, Ghibli movie where I, I think that you probably you probably don't really get that uh, that burst of violence until Ashitaka is riding towards Irontown and he his arm starts going crazy and he shoots the guy's hands off and then he yeah. just decapitates <laughs> the other guy with an arrow. It was yeah. just like, holy cow. Um, and then there is, I mean, there's a lot of blood in this movie, which is... Uh, you know, something that uh, you don't necessarily see in, in the other more whimsical tales like Spirited Away or or um, The Moving Castle or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, one of the things that I really do love about this movie that you touched on, and I, and I, don't, I don't think that this is quite an inspiration for Zelda because I think that Zelda does make a little bit more clear distinction between good and evil, but Princess Mononoke really doesn't. There's... There are sides to to each character and, and motivations that you know that each character has that that are good, um, and with specifically the technological advancement, if you will, um, they they don't the movie doesn't necessarily paint anyone as like a, a true villain or anything as a true villain. It just kind of depicts that struggle of like what's the right balance and like mm-hmm. you know you i think that you're conditioned to view iron town and lady boshi as the villains but if you if you watch the movie um or if you if you read a little bit about the movie you actually realize that iboshi has mostly built these weapons to defend her town um not only from the emperor but from the you know the forest gods who attacked first and that's really where the conflict arose. And so it's it's very interesting in that, you know, you would usually have these characters who are the clear-cut 100% evil villains, but they are, you know, everyone's depicted with more of a shade of gray in this movie, which is why yeah. I think that it's such a, it's just such a, 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 like a lasting movie. It leaves a lasting impression on you because, you know, it, it's not just like a cut and dry, like, consume it it's there and it's done it it does ask you questions and it does make you think and it does make you wonder like who was right who was wrong here um and what you know what would i do in that scenario because i i mean i think other than ashitaka who pretty much is always like the, the the paragon of goodness each character has several flaws to their name while also having several you know um redeeming qualities as well so yeah i, I really yeah. like it for that uh for that aspect of it i um i agree i you know one of the cool things that i was thinking initially like right off with with aboshi is that oh yeah she's the one who's over here killing the gods and stuff like that but if you consider what she's doing too she's saving women from brothels you know she's employing and taking care of lepers and 
and she's like providing a home for people that you know otherwise wouldn't really have a home or have a good life so i thought that was really cool so mm -hmm. you're like you're like struggling because you're like she's over here killing you know the the um the different gods that are around the for in the forest around her and but she's also protecting people and taking care of people so it's like a, it's like a struggle because you want and, to and they love bad. her yeah they, they adore her you know and i just thought it was so cool so i was rooting for her but at the same time i was like i was like okay but you're you're doing stuff i don't like <laughs> so yeah it just wasn't so like you think of movies like fern gully and stuff and it's so clear who the bad guy is and who the right who is in the right but this this movie did a really cool thing of making you see everybody's side and i thought it was cool because ashitaka was told go and explore the world without hatred and that's why he was able to not pick a side like and mm -hmm. in a severe way because he was not looking at them with hatred so i thought that was really cool too yeah, um, and and I want to talk about Ashitaka, but before we get to uh, like kind of the characters and, and some similarities that I saw, um, I want to talk about just like the setting and everything like that. So um, this obviously uh, takes place in I'm gonna absolutely butcher this, but the uh, the Muromaki time period of Japan, and this is uh, Wikipedia is telling me that this is from about 1336 to 1573. What you really need to know is that this time period is very much the time period where Japan was kind of tr transitioning from like the old kind of feudal style into the more modern, um, you know, industrial age. And I think that this movie is a good reflection of that. And that kind of reminds me of where the legend of Zelda is at right now, where like, it's been this, you know, this classical fantasy series but with Breath of the Wild, it, it is kind of transitioning a little bit into a more modern, a more, I don't want to say futuristic, but you know what I mean? Just like a, a, a more modern take on Zelda where like there yeah. is a lot of technology prevalent and that's a big theme in this world of Hyrule. And uh, we could talk about the themes and stuff later, but I, I thought that the setting was, it just, again, it reminded me very much of the of the setting of Breath of the Wild's Hyrule. Um, and then, of course, you have all the amazing visuals and stuff in Princess Mononoke. The forest, I mean, just looks, I mean, just like something right out of Zelda, right? Like, it looks like yeah. the Lost Woods or something like that. Um, you have all these different uh, mountain ranges, stuff like that. It just, it looks very much, you know, at home with what you would expect in a Zelda game. So I think immediately that's the first thing that I think of when I watch Princess Mononoke is like, man, this looks like Hyrule, and this looks awesome. And I guess that makes sense, because Hyrule was, of course, inspired by Shigeru Miyamoto running around in, uh, in Kyoto and being, you know, it, it stunned and, and amazed with all the wildlife and, and all that. So um, obviously that comparison makes sense. But yeah, just looking at the world, it's like, wow, this, again, it, it feels like a Zelda movie uh, without being a Zelda movie to me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Um, There was a lot of, like, different components to the like scenery and the different areas that um ashitaka visited that point like pointed me towards a zelda game like you said the the spirit forest basically and also iron town just makes me feel like a settlement that you would see in in breath of the wild's hyrule specifically because they're um, I wouldn't say that this isn't Princess Mononoke, but it's like this po post-apocalyptic world. And while there is advancement and modernization, they're still kind of rebuilding and, um, you know, trying to come up from 
being completely de- like decimated by the calamity and it just how Irontown was just kind of like the settlement that's beginning to come into this world and show the advancement it kind of just took me back to that kind of situation from Hyrule as well yeah um even the naming of this movie i think is is very zelda like originally actually i i don't know if this is true but i read this and it sounds like it's true to me but originally the uh one of the titles for this name was going to be the legend of ashitaka which i mean that's pretty that's pretty at home with uh, the legend of zelda and even the the title that they settled on princess mononoke obviously kind of brings up memories of twilight princess where you're naming the the game or the movie after your titular like princess in this uh, although mm-hmm. granted the princess in this movie is a far different type of princess but um yeah so there's obviously the visuals with everything there's a lot of similarities but to me i i think the thing that really makes this feel zelda like to me is ashitaka and that's probably because i feel like if link were to talk i would imagine that he sounds like ashitaka um he he acts in a very virtuous way you know, he does what's right as i would expect link to he i mean he looks like link he kind of has this blue it's not a tunic but uh, this blue garb that he wears that looks you know pretty decent like uh, what link wears in breath of the wild uh, his hairstyle is similar and uh just the way the way that ashitaka kind of acts and presents itself it it very much is reminiscent of link and obviously link was an established character before ashitaka but i i feel like there's um you know there's definitely some similarities between the two and i think that uh probably i mean obviously the the biggest similarity with ashitaka and link in, in the context of breath of the wild and probably where we're going is uh you know you can look at ashitaka's right arm and it has been corrupted by this black ooze which i i don't know if it's ever given a name in the movie or not but, I mean, it's been corrupted by this black ooze, which grants him this incredible power, but it is slowly killing him. And, I, I mean, I dare say I'm pretty sure that's that's the path that we're taking for Breath of the Wild 2, where Link has obviously been, you know, something is gotten a hold of his arm. And we've seen in the trailers for Breath of the Wild 2 that Link is going to be using that arm as as some kind of power source, albeit ruins or whatever, Um but it's going to be, he's going to be using that. But you figure that whatever that is in Link's arm can't be good. So I, I think that we're, you know, we're definitely seeing some very clear, distinct inspiration from Princess Mononoke. Not only in the characterization of Link, but in, you know, where we're going for Breath of the Wild 2. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I And this all happens within like the first five minutes of the movie. But you have the um, the demon that comes out of the woods. You know, Ashitaka's on on the lookout for it, and you see that it, the I, I I don't think of it so much as goo as like those little wriggling worm things, right? And you kind of see the worms move a little bit, and you see that it's a boar, and I'm like, oh my god, it's Calamity Ganon. And then <laughs> <laughs> and then you um you have him get touched by the the demon thing and that worm stuff, and it corrupts his arm. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, Link's arm is going to get corrupted by the malice in Breath of the Wild too, because that's been my theory ever since we've seen that first teaser. So that's all within the first five minutes of the movie, which I think is super cool. And um, obviously the movie goes on to do themes that are outside of Zelda. But yeah, I can totally see where inspiration has been, you know, has been derived from this movie and from the themes and from like some of just the ideas 
of what malice might look like, what um, Link's arm is going to do, and possibly because in the second teaser you kind of see it growing along like up over his shoulder and possibly it is corrupting him too and he might also mm -hmm. be sick so i can totally see that going forward as for ashitaka as a character um i at first i thought he was very soft-spoken very um mellow and just like obviously he had thoughts and feelings about everything that was going on but it, i think it's interesting because link is much the same because he's supposed to be your avatar into the world. So I kind of feel like Ashitaka is your avatar into this movie. And you're supposed to drive how you feel about Iron Town, about Eboshi, about San, and mm -hmm. about the gods. So I more so, you know, obviously Ashitaka's a hero. He's super brave and has all that going for him, courageous, whatnot, just like Leek does. But he's also your, it, he's supposed to be your uh, avatar into that movie so you can derive your own thoughts from it just like you are from the games yeah I, I feel like uh, I, I totally agree with that they do walk a very like fine line between making Ashitaka an accessible character that you can kind of project onto um, while making him like his own character at the same time mm -hmm. so I, I think that if he is not written as well as he is this movie probably doesn't work as well as it does i mean it probably is still an awesome movie um just based on the visuals and, and general story alone but yeah ashitaka i feel like was a very a very big part of the success of this movie um just in terms of his character and allowing you to kind of pick your own side i guess if you will um but yeah i i think that it's you know, I think that this is where we're going. I, I think that the the premise of Breath of the Wild 2 is going to be very similar to to Princess Mononoke in that Link's arm is obviously messed up. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be a curse or not, but uh, I, I just I feel like it probably can't be good. And I feel like you're probably going to be spending the game trying to get rid of that um, before it consumes Link, which I feel like... You know, even though it's kind of exactly what we see in Princess Mononoke, it's still a very compelling story to tell mm -hmm. in Breath of the Wild too. So yeah. I do, I do hope that we get that. Um, another great character, obviously, in this movie is San, who is uh, the Princess Mononoke, and she is raised by wolves and and just hates humanity uh, for everything that they have done to to the forest gods and and what have you. Even you know, even tearing down the forest itself to build Iron Town in the first place. So. I, I want to, like, San is presented as, uh, you know, a, a good character. Uh, obviously, you're supposed to root for her. But she's she's also not without flaws, which kind of reminds me of Zelda to an extent. I think that San is a more extreme character, obviously, than Zelda is. Because she is literally going out of her way to kill humans. But, you know, you have, you do have this princess with this driving kind of desire to do right by her people and she is you know she's gonna do whatever it takes to do that um i think that this maybe manifests itself in more violent ways with san but i do see some similarities there with princess zelda as well also with kind of the um you know there there's kind of that thread that's woven between uh ashitaka and san and, and it's kind of rem reminiscent of a thread that's that's been in zelda for a long time which is like these characters like are, are somewhat, you know, involved romantically or there's a hint of romance between them, but just fate and their destiny doesn't really allow them to be together in the way that maybe they would hope. So I, I think that you see that with San and Ashitaka 
And you kind of see that between Link and Zelda in various games, but particularly in Breath of the Wild, where, you know, Link has to basically sleep for 100 years after his uh, after his injuries. So Shiva's a very interesting character. I think one that is worth rooting for and kind of her her finding her inner humanity and embracing a little bit of her humanity um, at the at the end of the movie is I feel like reminiscent of Zelda kind of like accepting her her failures in, in Breath of the Wild and then of course that's when her power actually unlocks. Maybe I'm maybe I'm stretching a little bit here, but I do see some similarities between the two. I mean, I didn't think so much uh, during the movie that I saw super similarities between them. Um, they are pretty extremely different from each other, but I think they both have like a drive and um, this like kind of determination to do their duty and to do what's right by who they're trying to protect. And so I can definitely see that. Um, I, I think that, especially in Breath of the Wild, Zelda has like such a struggle with trying to come to terms with her powers and she's trying to find all these other ways that she can do the job without her powers because they're not coming forth, right? But I feel like San is so sure of who she is and maybe that when Ashitaka shows up, there's just a tiny bit of doubt because she's like, no, you're human. And she's like, no, I'm a wolf, stupid. Like, it, But he kind of implants that doubt a little bit in her. But otherwise, mm-hmm. she's so sure of where her place is, what she's supposed to be doing. And I can see that when after Zelda kind of gets her power, especially in Age of Calamity, where like when she really takes the like the full leadership role and knows what she's supposed to be doing knows her place and um her destiny in this war so i kind of can see that between the two um but i i understand what you mean also about how it's very heavily implied that ashitaka and san are you know could have romantic feelings for each other or how it it maybe even doesn't have to be romantic they definitely love each other in a way and care very deeply about each other by the end of the movie Mm -hmm. And I like that. I would like that for even Breath of the Wild, Link, and Zelda, too. Like, I don't think they have to be romantically involved. I would very much appreciate to see them have a relationship in the end where, you know, spoiler alert, Asan was like, I can't forgive the humans. I'm not coming back there with you. And Ashitaka's like, cool, I'll come visit. <laughs> you know? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, can, I would appreciate that kind of relationship between them, too. But it's just that... They needed to defeat the, or not, I shouldn't say defeat. They needed to resolve the issue together, and so do Link and Zelda. So I, I think it's more about them being together that I can connect between the movie and the game. Yeah, like the the thing about Son is, you, you kind of said it, maybe I didn't ex- like say what I was trying to say very well, but like I feel like they do both have this like fierce like drive, like they wanted, they want to do right by their people. And to me... San is is what would have happened or if like Zelda was raised by <laughs> bad people, you know what I mean? Like if if she would have had her powers or her her drive channeled in a more negative way. Mm-hmm. Cuz I think that I, I think that deep down like San is is probably a good person and loyal and wants to do what's right by the people that she cares about, which is, you know, a lot of traits that Zelda would have as yep. well or does have, but um just in the way that I guess we could talk about her now um, in the way that Moro, which is the wolf god, kind of channels that from from San is is different in the way that King Rome kind of channels that from Zelda. And I, I actually drew some parallels on on these guys as well. 
because on the outside you would look and you'd say like this king rome is absolutely awful he's not supportive he's not he's just a bad dude he's a bad guy and he's not being a very good father or a very good leader for um for hyrule and for princess zelda but he kind of and maybe it's despite him but whatever whatever it is his methods do end up leading to zelda becoming you know what she becomes where moro kind of to me seems like a little bit of an opposite where like it seems like very much there is a bond there she does care for san in a in a very maternal way but really kind of encourages san to embrace that you know kill the humans kind of uh, mentality which maybe uh is is part of the reason that the conflict arose instead of looking for compromise so it's it's interesting to kind of compare and contrast those two characters. Yeah, I I I think so. I I really liked Moro um because while she does have some pretty extreme uh reactions to humans, I I thought it was so funny. <laughs> this isn't really funny, but basically the all the wolves like uh San's brothers and then her mom with wanting to chomp off everybody's heads. <laughs> they just were obsessed with that concept. But, oh, dude, the amount of times that the forest gods tell Ashitaka, like, if I see you again, I'm going to kill, kill you. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I think is cool because they were showing him amount of respect for, like, in that moment. But they're like, dude, you don't belong here. We're going to kill you. So I thought that was cool. But um, I lost my train of thought. I went on a bunny trail. But uh, uh, essentially, I she does have extreme views. But I think she's super supportive of the decisions that San makes. So when she goes to, uh, I can't remember, I think his name is Okoto, the the second boar god that we see. Yeah. Um, when she says, hey, I'm going to go support him. He's blind. You know, this is what I have to do. Moro's like, okay, yeah, you do that. You know, that's, that's what you want to do. You do that. So I think that's kind of cool because San knows what she wants to do, what her place is in tells her i'm gonna go do that versus with zelda who's like hey i can't get my powers to work right now i'm gonna go do research on the technology because i think there's something there that can help us and her father is just like no you have to be very strict about what she has to do in order to get her powers to work so yeah there's definitely a huge contrast there which is funny because rome's method in indirectly does end up unlocking the powers within Zelda, whereas Moro's method uh, kind of encourages San to be a little bit more extreme, and in the in the short term, that doesn't end up really good for anybody. No. But uh, yeah, I, I think that it's very interesting. So I really love, and I'm ready for you to take me to task here, Al. But I love the idea of this black ooze corrupting what it touches in this movie. Oh my god! <laughs> I know, I know, but but but. Because I was ready for you. Because I knew that you were going to pounce. So this is obviously... They, they don't even name this stuff. So I'm just going to call it Malice. Because that's okay. what it is. Yeah. The idea is the exact same thing as in Breath of the Wild. And this is probably one of the biggest comparisons or, or parallels between the movies. Is that you have this gooey substance that corrupts what it touches with pure hatred. Um, the reason that I like it in Princess Mononoke and don't like it in Breath of the Wild is because it is very clearly explained in Princess Mononoke what this is and where it came from. So I think that uh, the quote is, a poisonous hatred that consumed his flesh and turned him into a monster. And this poisonous hatred is, in fact, a bullet. And so 
the reason for this malice is indirectly the blamed, I guess, if you will, on the technological advancements in the, in the form of making weaponry. And, and I really, I like that. And it's not so much the actual weaponry itself, but it's the, you know, as I, as Ashitaka says, when he breaks up the fight between San and, and Iboshi, like, this is what hatred looks like. And it's not necessarily the black goo, but it's all everybody turning against each other, you know, forest fighting advancement and, and all of that, uh, all that stuff. But I, I really do like this theme in Princess Mononoke. And, and I was thinking like, like, yes, I, I, I know that I'm the old guy yelling at clouds about malice and breath of the wild, but like, if there was like an explanation that was even as simple as the one that they give in, in Princess Mononoke, um, I would be totally fine with the idea of malice because I think that that's actually like as a concept, it's a great idea. I just didn't like that they were just kind of like, yeah, this comes from Gal from Ganon because he hates everybody. So I was ready for you to take a big steamy dump all over me for liking this. <laughs> so have at it. I just know that Corey is listening to this episode right now and he's banging his head against the desk somewhere. <laughs> you know what, Corey? <laughs> you can go... Get ready, buddy, because I'm going to embarrass you for uh, for trivia champions <laughs> cast versus Omega Metroid. You you say whatever you want, okay? But oh, I'm going to get my last laugh in on February 13th on Champions Cast Twitch. Um, I think this comparison makes total sense because I understand Malice from Breath of the Wild completely, and I get it. So, <laughs> but um, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> if if in Breath of the Wild they even if there was like a throwaway line where they were like. We relied too heavily on technology, and uh, and it hurt the land or something like that. And that is what allowed Malice to, to be born and power Calamity Ganon. I'd be like, okay, cool, great. I love Malice. But I, I just, I feel like you just don't get that. And you just, it's this thing that Calamity Ganon shoots out of his fingers and, and you know, whatever. We don't need to beat this up anymore. Um, there I'm are sorry, I interrupted lines. you. <laughs> From, uh, um, I, let me do my comparison here. So I feel like there is, there is certain explanations from Alice, from King Rome and from Zelda about how Ganon's hatred was so strong that it became the Malice. And that's pretty much the same in Princess Mononoke, where this iron has caused so much hatred between the people and the forest and the gods in the forest that it becomes uh, the malice and the hatred that corrupts uh, the boar god. I can't remember the first one's name. And then the second boar god, it it um, doesn't corrupt Moro, which I thought was interesting because she, I think she said um, because she didn't run away in fear of it, she just kind of accepted that she's going to die. Mm -hmm. And yeah. maybe that's why Ashitaka is also not corrupted so quickly um, because he's like, I understand I'm going to die. Yes, I'm going to go look for answers, but I'm not afraid, you know? So um, yeah. basically, uh, I think that the comparing the two is very uh, – makes a whole bunch of sense. It's just when there's so much hatred in the world, it's going to corrupt things. It's going to corrupt people. Strong enough to corrupt gods. So I just think that's really interesting and – I love it when that trope is used in uh, movies and books and all sorts of stuff because it just it makes sense. You see evil in the world in real life, and you know it corrupts people to do bad things. You see it in wars. You see it from dictators. You see it in uh, different cultures. It totally makes sense. So I always like it when they use stuff like this because you can see it in your everyday life as much as you can see it in these stories. Uh, to, so I guess, I guess my thing, I agree with what you said. I like this trope as well. 
I guess my thing is that I like that in Princess Mononoke that you can see the source of it. And the source is this bullet, and that kind of goes back to the whole theme of the movie. Whereas in Breath of the Wild, I just feel like it's less defined, and I don't like that. Like, it, it just... The source of it is Calamity Ganon, and it's because he's gritting his teeth and he just hates people even more. Which, I mean, whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> um, but I, I just... I like that you can go back and see the source of this in Princess Mononoke and that it ties into the overarching theme of the movie. Whereas in Breath of the Wild, it's just like Ganon is gritting his teeth and he's just like, I hate these guys and I hated me more than I hated them yesterday. So guess what I can do now? So I, <laughs> I'll I be know. interested to see, because when you think about Breath of the Wild and the malice, if you just like walk into malice, it hurts you, but it doesn't really do anything else to you. Like it's just poisonous substance. So it hurts you. But I'd be interested to see, because the malice is really just used to corrupt technology and the monsters. Um, I'd be interested to see in Breath of the Wild 2 if it goes farther and corrupts people, too. Because I don't think uh, it really well, does. That, that's not entirely true, actually, because it corrupts Nadra in Breath of the Wild. That's why, I, yeah, monsters and, like, creatures, but people. Well, uh, okay, yeah, okay, I'm sorry, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that that could totally be a thing. And by the way... They still have an opportunity in Breath of the Wild 2 to, to give me that throwaway line that I want to make Malice <laughs> make sense in my brain. But, uh, make I don't it know, make maybe, sense for Andy. Maybe they'll theory. pull out like a little <laughs> bullet from the corpse in Ganondorf. And it's like, hey, this is why Malice exists. Mm. I'd be down with that. Goodness. Anyways, um, let's talk about uh, Lady Iboshi. We, we kind of talked about it earlier and what a... Maybe the most interesting character in the movie, actually. Just because there's so many different sides to her. What she... What she is doing um, to the forest gods is clearly wrong. She is, you know, she's shooting them. She's burning the forest. She cuts the head off of the forest spirit. Um, but she, you know, like she is a hero to her people. She's saving her people. And she's battling the Empire. She's battling other warlords uh, in and around the area as well. So she really is fighting for her people. And they see her as just an absolute hero. And she herself, um, not unlike San, who is consumed with murdering Iboshi and the rest of the humans, is kind of caught up in this uh, this malice as well, but from a different perspective where she'll do anything to protect her people. So it's it's very interesting how Iboshi and San are kind of presented as two sides of the same coin that that are going to do whatever it takes to present their people. I think that it's a great, you know, it's a great trope that, frankly, we don't see enough of in Zelda. Um, and the closest, the closest analogy actually that I kind of took away as a character from Iboshi is it made me kind of think of the Sheikah tribe just as a whole. Oh. Whereas, you know, we've never really seen them presented as quote unquote villains, but they, you know, there have been hints that they've done some, some shady things here and there. And this, it, it just kind of made me think of like, you know, the, the dark side of the Sheikah and their technology and stuff like that. And again, maybe this is just me kind of projecting Zelda onto one of my favorite movies, but I, I thought that it was an interesting idea and maybe something worth exploring in Breath of the Wild too, to say like, you know, the Sheikah tried, we, we made all this fantastic technology, but actually it ended up hurting everything um, when they were just trying to help, which is clearly kind of what Iboshi is doing. So I, I thought that that would be interesting if they ended up exploring that a little bit more, which I would love because, you know, we've never really, you know, we've never really gotten that out of the, the Sheikah tribe. We're just kind of told that they're technologically advanced and that they protect 
the royal family and that they're mysterious. So I, I would like to see a little bit more into that in Breath of the Wild 2. Mm-hmm. I, um... When you were when you were saying this thing about uh, two sides of the same coin, it actually made me think of Minna, um, and that line that Zelda has about you know Twilight and the light being two sides of the same coin, and so I kind of started thinking, uh, Boshi could be a little bit like Minna too with the Twilight Twilight lo- the Twilight people love her, you know she is uh, kind of being driven and corrupted by this other figure which i would think what was his name joby joe jiro jiro yeah jiro is that his name that's his name <sighs> uh, Billy bob thornton shout out i think it's jigo uh, it's jiro okay whatever his name is he he's obviously kind of like the puppet master let's let's make sure we're talking about the same you're talking about the the short stout dude right yeah with the giant sandals <laughs> yeah that's that's Jiro. By the way, I just want to point this out. The way he sits on his sandals is so similar to how the Magma sit on their tails. Like, I know we're trying to compare, like, Breath of the Wild 2 to this movie, but I see other Zelda stuff in this movie, too. You so. know what? I, I lied. You're right. It, it's Jigo. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I am the villain of this. I'm sorry. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? Like, he's got these giant freaking sandals, and I was wondering the whole movie how he was able to do anything on them. But the way he sits on them reminds me of a magma, which I just thought was so fun. Um, wow, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, it it's clear that there's, like, this other force that's kind of dry, driving a boshi, a boshi to do bad things. So I kind of thought it was similar to Minna in a bit where she was totally using Link, just like a boshi was kind of totally using Ashitaka. And um, to get what she needed from, you know her her goal basically and right. she was kind of against zelda a bit at first before realizing that you know zelda was going to save her life well song kind of does the same in the end helps save aboshi's life by um you know getting her out of there and also um giving the head back to the spirit oh i was just having a hard time with my thoughts there but um so i kind of like it's like a stretch but i kind of like what you said about the two sides of the same coin and it made me think of Midna and Zelda. So that's kind of where my brain took me. But otherwise, yeah, she's ultimately like a good person, but she's got her flaws and she's, she can't, she hasn't been able to find her balance yet with being a good person, taking care of those people, um, giving jobs to all those women and um, not pissing off all the gods of the forest and destroying the forest. Which, by the way, no one's been able to find their balance yet. And that's... Yeah. I don't know if anyone would have if not for Ashitaka mm-hmm. um, as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, let's talk about uh, Jigo for a second here. He's probably the closest thing that the movie has to a villain. Um, because his motivations are, like, he he's basically trying to give the head of the forest spirit to the emperor because he thinks that the emperor believes that the head of the, sport, the forest spirit will grant him uh, a mortal life. And so Jigo is basically motivated by money. And uh, he, yeah, he, he kind of has the most material motivations of any other character. Um, I don't really see a comparison to anyone in uh, in Breath of the Wild or Zelda in particular for Jigo, other than just maybe your, you know, your average villain here or there. He kind of has some mannerisms that remind me of Koga. And just like, he's kind of goofy, he's kind of clunky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but other than that, I, I don't think that there's really a clear parallel in Breath of the Wild. So, 
maybe we'll see something like that in Breath of the Wild too. But yeah, I mean, as far as just like a, a dude that's not really up to any good, it's probably him in the movie. Even though he himself actually shows a little bit of a redeeming quality when, when Ashitaka and him kind of sit down to eat and he correctly deduces that, that Ashitaka is from, I can't remember the tribe that Ashitaka is from, but basically it's an outlawed tribe mm-hmm. um, that is in hiding. And uh, he correctly deduces where he's from, but keeps it to himself because he doesn't want to see Ashitaka killed. So, I mean, that's that's kind of good. But, yeah, I mean, this guy mostly is is a villain. Yeah, and I thought it was kind of interesting how the movie ends. Again, spoiler alert, but he, like, gets no punishment whatsoever that we see. Like, he he isn't defeated. He just kind of is just like, oh, I give up. I mean, you can't you can't work when there's fools around, you know? That's it. That's all that happens to him, even though he's kind of caused, like, a lot of damage to a and, lot of people. I'm not sure that he ultimately learns his lesson either, because he had that head. And so when he when he takes the head of the forest spirit, um, the, basically the forest spirit goes out of control and starts oozing off this black goo that turns into the hatred or the malice, if you will, that we saw from earlier and starts killing everything. And, uh, he, he's going to take that head. Like he only kind of gives it back because it's taken from him. Like it looks very much like, I mean, this dude is like Frodo on Mount doom when, when the lava is coming down, like he's, he's marooned there and he's not getting out of there. And, uh, he probably just would have died with that head in his hand, if not for Ashitaka and San. So, I'm not really even sure that he, you know, learned his lesson at the end. You can you can obviously tell that by the end of the movie, Aboshi and San have kind of learned maybe to respect the other or respect the other's boundaries or position in the world, where Jigo just kind of, I don't know. I feel like he's going to get into more trouble. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like he, he didn't really learn anything. And his words especially just make me think that because he said, you can't work... A- I can't. I don't know the exact wording, but you can't really work when there's fools around. So it tells me he's gonna go off and do it again. He's just gonna be sure that there's not gonna be any fools around him, you know. So, yeah, I don't really. And but the thing is that everybody kind of gets an ending that's very, like, I don't want to say anticlimactic, climactic, but it almost is because nobody is ultimately punished. Iron Town isn't really like punished for what they're doing and they probably still will be mining for the iron but maybe they'll just do it in a better way that they're not disrupting the gods or the spirits of the forest um well, and then... I, I think that's basically the deal that they make is that like uh ashitaka and iboshi are going to rebuild iron town but they're going to be more respectful to yeah the, to, to the surrounding woods and 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 then san she has there's nothing redeeming to her about humans so she's just like no, I still hate humans. Um, even though she saw some of the things that Aboshi did and that were good, you know, and she just was like, no, I can't forgive humans. I'm I'm not doing that. So, right. uh, again, there was no kind of resolution there. Everybody just kind of went on their own way. And I just think that's super interesting because I'm so, I mean, all of us, we're so used to movies, movies having a resolution where the good prevail. But in this, it's still a struggle. It's still always going to be a struggle. And the ending was nothing was resolved i mean there was little resolution and i think like like you said and like i said iron town's gonna be better jigo's gonna go off and kill another spirit somewhere and san's gonna continue to live her life as a as a wolf so i just thought that was so jigo is what koga should have been he should have been a little bit more serious (laughs) but still goofy and i love koga (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, I just thought that was really cool because it was refreshing, I guess. Right. Um, well, let's talk about the forest spirit. Yes. Because this, uh, I, I, I bet you that you have a lot to say. So obviously, I'm sure that the first thing that you noticed is is that this guy looks a lot like someone else from your favorite place in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, well, in the daytime, yes, he does. He looks like the Lord of the Mountain. And that was the first thing I said. Yeah, he, uh, very cool visual. Um, it's just, man, what a, he's got like these, these bird-like feet, but he's got this, this steer body, but he's got like almost like a baboon face. Uh, it's, it's very, I remember the first time that they showed the Lord of the Mountain and I was, or not the Lord of the Mountain, the forest spirit rather. I remember the first time I saw Lord of the Mountain too. That was pretty sweet. Yeah. But, um, man, the first time that they, that they showed this guy, I was just like, wow, this is like so, I don't know, like ethereal. And you can kind of see, you can kind of see like a similar thing with uh, with the Lord of the Mountain, just in terms of looks. Like its face doesn't necessarily match its body. Yeah. Um, kind of the same thing. It has like the body of like a big proud deer. Um, but the Lord of the Mountain has kind of different style antlers, has like more of those like leaf style antlers whereas uh the forest spirit has like the very i call them uh like the xerneas antlers from like that pokemon yes, from yes pokemon that's X. exactly that's exactly what i thought too is that it looked like xerneas yeah. a little bit um so there's so obviously there's that comparison visually to the king of the mountain but in in many ways too like it's almost like uh the forest spirit is is kind of like a representation of the triforce and that it's this ultimate power governs over life and death is you know believed to grant wishes if you obtain it um so it, it's very it's it's kind of a just a cool visual uh to attach to that so i i really like seeing that um and as well as there's uh when you see the the forest spirit walk um when his feet touch the ground like all these flowers and stuff bloom yep. right beside it which isn't something that zelda does but something that okami borrowed for yeah. amaterasu which is cool I love it. I had that in my notes too. That <laughs> I have a word that's not good for the podcast. We spent too much time together. <laughs> uh, I said, "Does cool Amaterasu stuff with its hooves?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, I. Um, I mean, I think that the uh, creators of Breath of the Wild totally took some inspiration from the spirit of the forest from. Princess Mononoke, because yeah, they don't, I mean, they don't look very similar, but the idea is the same, where you've got this, mm -hmm. like, spiritual being um, that lives at the base of a tree in a, like, wooded, um, kind of, uh, I can't think of the body of water that I'm trying to think of, like, pondy area, and um, it's just, I guess, it's like the same concept, it resides over the mountain, it looks over the spirits on the mountain and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I could totally, I totally made that connection and I loved it. And, um, the one from Princess Mononoke, like, yeah, it is very ethereal and cool looking, but <laughs> when it first walks, I was watching this with my sister because we're trying to watch the, the Studio Ghibli movies together. And she's like, ew, no, I don't like him because <laughs> of the way he walks. So I thought that was really funny. <laughs> But, I mean, it's kind of creepy a yeah, little bit. Yeah, like a little creepy. Um, but other connections that I made aside from Zelda, um, with both forms of the spirit, especially the Nightwalker, is Avatar. It looks like a spirit from Avatar from the spirit realm, which I think is super cool. 
Okay. You know, I tried to convince Samantha to watch that again the other night, but she just wasn't. She's wasn't like, nah, it. I'm not down. <laughs> no, no, unfortunately not. Um, yeah, I, I wish, man, I wish that there was something akin to the Nightwalker in Breath of the Wild. That would be like, so That would be cool. so awesome. Can you just imagine, Could, like, you're on the oh. plateau and you look over towards Hebra and, at night and you just see this giant... God, that'd be cool. Spirit, oh, that would be awesome. Like, like it's pretty cool even, like, seeing Satori Mountain, like, lit up yeah. from across the map. Yeah. And, like, that is cool, but if you could see... And it doesn't have to be, like, as giant, but, like, if you could... Uh, if you could see it if you're relatively close like just this thing walking around oh my god that would be so awesome it'd be god, kind of be like good. it'd kind of be the same level as seeing the dragons like spotting the dragons yes you're out and about yes yeah that'd be cool um by the way those dragons uh not not really represented in um in princess mononoke but somebody pointed out to me that uh the the dragons look a lot like uh the dragon from spirited away from the main yeah. I, I can't remember his name but uh when he turns into a dragon it, and it does look very very similar mm-hmm. like the uh the shape yeah yeah very um, true yeah let's do some quick hits here just of some other characters and we'll we'll wrap up and talk about just the basic theme which i think is uh went into breath of the wild but uh we we got to talk about you cool uh this guy is absolutely awesome and and obviously you know um the the steed companion isn't a thing that zelda or mononoke invented but uh i mean when you're watching ashitaka who very much it looks is is kind of a comparison to link the first thing that comes to mind for me is like man he's got his epona ready to go you cool who's loyal and gonna stay by his side how devastating was that when you cool got shot yeah by the way oh my sister and i panicked we freaked out and then I was like, it's okay, he just got shot in the butt, he's fine. <laughs> oh, I would have been, uh, have you watched The Witcher season two yet? Yes, I have. Yeah, oh, yeah, you know I know exactly about. what you're going yeah. for. Yep. Dude, wow. Devastating. Yeah, that, that hits. But yeah, yeah. you cool, is, is, this guy rocks. Um, Gonza, who is the, like, the guard for Lady Ebosha, this guy has major Koga energy where he's just, like, <laughs> bad at everything that he does. Uh, so I, I appreciate him. He was he was a good time. He's good for some laughs. Um the uh the Kadama. Kadama, and, yes. Yeah. I mean that that literally is a Korok. Very much so. That's that's what I was saying. I was like, look, Ty was like, there's a thousand of them. I was like, there's nine hundred to be exact. <laughs> um, so I and I think that that's just like an ancient uh like that's just a thing in Japan, something that they believe in. It kinda like, like, like theories would be yeah. yeah. So it's not not something that Zelda or Mononoke created, but just to hear them kind of do their their little rattle uh, is just like, wow. And their uh, faces are, are yeah. so similar with their eyes being kind of just like, like voidless, you know, kind of just, you don't really see anything in there, but you kind of see that with the Koroks too. And they're all uh, different yeah. shapes. Yeah, it's it's just like wow. I wonder if there's 900 of these things in this movie, <laughs> and uh, maybe we can spot them all. Um, I thought that uh, Toki was a good character, like just Toki. kind of like your your average NPC that you would see in Zelda, quirky, funny. Uh, I, I thought that she was good. Mm-hmm. I liked her. Jada too. Pinkett Smith, by the way, voiced her. I just but saw did, that. Did you watch the uh, Did you watch the dub version or did you watch the subtitles? Uh, no, I watched um, I watched the dub version because I, again, too. I was watching with my sister and we like to talk during these movies and like uh, right. like talk about the themes and stuff. So it would be hard if we were trying to read the movie. 
I I think that the voice cast in this movie is absolutely fantastic. And I see people being like, oh, you got to watch it dubbed. It's no good in English. Completely disagree. I completely you, you disagree. The dub version is the only way to go. Of the three Studio Ghibli movies I've seen, they've all been really good with the dub and with the uh, cast. Yeah, actually, you're right. So, yeah. I mean, I and it's actually kind of a game my sister and I play, too, when we're watching movies like this, trying to guess who they are. And um, for the most part, we were able to guess for the other two movies we watched, but not for this one very much. I had to look it up, and some of them I recognized. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But, yeah, I think they do really good with the casting, and um, I think they I think they put a lot of thought and effort when they, when they do the dubbing of these movies because they're so beloved. So I, I, I think they did a really good job. Uh, totally, yeah, I agree. Um, tell me if, if this reminded you of the same thing, but uh, when, I, when I'm looking at the boars and their clan, the Nago and, and all them, I'm like, man, these guys kind of remind me of Gorons a little bit. Just like stubborn, proud, maybe a mix of Goron and Rito. They're like, <laughs> they're very proud beasts that they're going to go and fight even if they, you know, they're obviously going to lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that was just me, but I was like, yeah, these guys are hard headed. Um, I mean, I get, I get what you're saying. I didn't think of that initially, but I totally get it. Uh, so yeah, like, I, I don't know. I got a soft spot for them, Boris. Uh, I was rooting for them, even though <laughs> obviously we knew that it wasn't going to go their way. Um, so I, I think that the big theme of this movie, as we've been touching on, is, uh, is obviously kind of nature versus technology and where that balance lies. And I think that you could say that that's like the big theme of Breath of the Wild too. And I, and I think that it, that'll probably continue into Breath of the Wild, uh, the sequel, um, as well. So it, it really, when you look at Princess Mononoke as a whole and, and some of the themes that it uh, that it dwells on, which, I mean, you you also have other themes, too. It's kind of like the loss of innocence where, you know, Ashitaka is basically told that, like, his entire life has changed and now he's going to go and, and have to confront his destiny. Um, and all these people that are embroiled in this war that they don't necessarily want to be a part of, and it's forcing them to, to pick sides. And there's the theme of, you know, the two people that maybe want to be together, but can't be together because destiny just won't allow it, which is a theme that we've seen in Zelda a lot. Um, I mean, really the, the parallels between this movie and, and kind of the inspiration I, I think is, is very apparent and, and very obvious and that's a, I mean, that's a great thing because this movie is such good themes that, you know, they they take that in Breath of the Wild and they use that, I feel like, in a really constructive way that doesn't feel like a ripoff or a derivative. It just feels like a really interesting Zelda take on, you know, a lot of these classical literature themes. Um, exactly. And yeah, and they, Zelda always has a way of doing, like, sure, they have inspiration elsewhere that they probably get some of their plot and some of their stories for but i mean what what story doesn't really but they make it their own and i really i really like that like you said iron town could be similar to um the sheikah and their advancement in technology trying to find the balance of advancing versus uh you know destroying the world around them um and the stories and connections between the characters uh can be the same and have a lot of the same themes going for them i and i really like that so i i am hopeful that we see a lot of the same stuff that we have seen in princess mononoke because i know that zelda will make it its own i guess the one thing that i was thinking about um last night when i was when i was re-watching is um you know so we've talked about how this movie presents everybody as kind of like 
a shade of gray character to a to a large extent, except for Ashitaka. And I was thinking to myself, and I'd love your opinion before I answer, Al, is like, would would I want a Zelda villain in a Zelda game that that kind of shares a lot of the the ambiguity of like Iboshi or something like that? Or or would we rather just like fight something that we know is bad and feel good about vanquishing it from the land? Because I think that both are completely valid and both are satisfying. But I I don't know. I, I was I was thinking about that question in terms of just like the Zelda series as a whole, and it feels very mature to have these these shades of great characters and, and antagonists. But uh, I, I don't know. Would, would you want to see something like that replicated in Zelda or, or maybe Breath of the Wild two specifically? Uh, or do you just want to fight like evil and vanquish no, evil? No, I'm totally okay with that because I like things that make you think and make you. Uh you know have some introspection in yourself in the decisions that you would make i think skyrim does a really good job with the this very thing the uh civil war that's going on you know you want to at first you want to choose the storm cloaks but then you realize that they're all a bunch of racists so like who do you choose the side that's oppressing or the other side that w- will win and then oppress an, a different race you know what i mean so it's kind of uh, uh the sa- you could say the same with fighting alduin and um they kind of have the same idea in Eternals. No, I won't go with Eternals. That'll be spoilers. But um, when you're fighting Alduin, he, his destiny is to eat the world and a new world will be reborn. But you're like, this is my world and I live on it, so I want to sa- like save it. You know what I mean? So you're basically dooming the next world by f- destroying the, the world eater. You know what I mean? So it kind of makes it interesting and fun to think about those things and what you're giving up in order to do... Uh, right by what you think is right or right by what other people think is right um when who you're fighting isn't necessarily evil they just think they're in the right you know what i mean i think it makes it for a much more interesting storytelling and i kind of said the same if we had a much more like uh morally gray link you know like if he had some struggles some internal struggles as a character versus just being the strict hero all the time you know what i mean right I, I think that I always want Link to be... Yeah, I, I want Link to be Ashitaka. I, I do want him to be the, the kind of paragon of goodness. But I, I think that I, I definitely am open to like more like scenarios that do make you question, do make you think. Like I, I As you were laying that out, I was kind of thinking of Link's Awakening, actually, at the end of the game. Where exactly. In, in order to escape, you need to do something that maybe you, you don't necessarily want to do. Um, and and I, that ending has always really stuck with me. So I do hope that maybe Breath of the Wild, uh, you know, obviously it's taken inspiration from Mononoke. And I hope that it uh, maybe takes that little bit of inspiration as well. So we'll see, I guess. Yep, we'll see. But yeah, Princess Mononoke, one of my one of my favorites. And uh, it's kind of, you know, I, I watched it uh, a few weeks ago when it came to Netflix. And I was just like... You know, I really haven't seen a lot of the other Ghibli films, so I've, I've been on kind of a tear. I watched Spirited Away. Um, I started watching uh, one movie last night, but I ended up falling asleep. I think I started at like 1230, but lots of really like kind of great, you know, uh, things to look out for there. And, and you can see just kind of the, the influence that I think that that studio had on, on Zelda just as a whole. So, yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, Mononoke, one of my favorites. Yeah, same. Um, at least one of my favorite Ghibli movies, I'll say. <laughs> we'll see. So yeah, I've got so is. many more to watch. <laughs> um, I'm sure that we just scratched the surface. Uh, I'm, I know that there are tons of people that really, really love all the Ghibli movies. So we'd love to hear what you guys think of our thoughts about it. How you think 
that uh, maybe Princess Mononoke could inform the plot of Breath of the Wild 2. I think it's going to be... I think that there are going to be a lot of similarities uh, between the two. So let us know over on Discord and over on Twitter at Spateri316 at Allison Aletha. February 13th, Champions Cast versus Omega Metroid Podcast Trivia Showdown. That is going to be a good time and uh, it's going to be a good celebration. Maybe we'll even have a little bit of the bubbly on that <laughs> night as well just to, to celebrate our milestone. Uh, I think that might have to be in order. Um, until then... We are going to get out of here. Uh, of course, we want you guys to check us out wherever you get your podcast. Like and subscribe. Recommend us to that Zelda fan in your life. And we will see you guys here next week. Take care, everybody.